You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. All right, big kids and adults that are in here today, go ahead and start making your way over to Romans chapter 2. We're going to be continuing our series through the book of Romans this morning. If you're new or visiting with us, my name is Josiah. I'm pastor of families and students here. Maybe you're watching online for the first time. It's an honor to be with you this morning. If you're using one of those Red Pew Bibles that are near you, we're going to be on page 998. And then, of course, all the verses are on version as well. All right. Romans. Romans chapter 2, starting in the 25th verse. It says, Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements... Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. Verse 28, for a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. No, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter, that person's praise is not from people, but it is from God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray before we dive in this morning. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather under your word. Lord, I pray that I would be faithful to your word and through to our text here this morning. Open our minds and ears to hear from your voice here today. I pray that we would be receptive to the message that you've placed on my heart for our faith family, Lord, and that we'd leave here changed based on what we heard from your word. I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing, Lord Jesus, all that you have done through this church and all that you're going to do in the years to come and the generations that are coming up behind us. We worship you, Lord. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if you weren't able to join us last week or you didn't get a chance to really watch Pastor Brian's message online, you might be at a little bit of a disadvantage this morning because we're actually kind of picking up part two today. You might feel like you're coming in at the intermission of a play. Uh, This is kind of part two of Paul's rebuke and his correction to the Romans here in chapter two. Last week, Pastor Brian shared how Paul is basically calling out the Jews for being nothing more than hypocrites. And we see that continuing in our text here this morning. The Jews have put their hope and their trust in the act of circumcision, and they've completely forgotten about salvation and who it comes from and and what actually saves us. If you were here last week, then you probably remember from Pastor Brian's message that the law doesn't save us. Paul is continuing to drive that point home here in our text this morning. He's telling the Jews that the law doesn't save us. It's God that saves us. In fact, God is more concerned about what's going on on the inside than he is about what's happening on the outside. That being said, my question for you this morning is, where's your hope? Where's your hope? What are you putting your trust in today? The Jews were putting their hope and their trust in the act of circumcision, in the circumcision of the flesh. And the reality is that we're not much different than they were. The Jews were putting their hope and trust in a symbol of the covenant rather than in the saving act of the covenant with God. 
Oftentimes, we put our misguided hope in symbols of a covenant rather than the covenant itself. A perfect example is a wedding ring, right? If you meet someone, they're wearing a wedding ring on their left hand, it's fair to assume that they're married, right? In in fact, don't people, when they're kind of wanting to put off advances and and keep people from flirting with them, sometimes they'll wear rings on this hand to kind of say, hey, I'm off limits. If I'm married, then, then I've made a covenant with someone before God. I've made a promise to be faithful and true to them. My body's no longer my own. I belong to them, and and they belong to me. Crystal and I are married. If I left here today and I told Crystal, hey, hon, I'm sorry, I I can't have dinner with you tonight. I actually have a date with someone else. She'd have a real problem with that. Chances are you'd never see me again. (laughs) Why is that? It's because her and I have made a covenant with one another. And as a result, there are certain expectations that go along with that covenant. The same is true with your salvation. If you have been saved, if you have surrendered your life over to God and asked him to call all the shots in your life, then your life should look different than that of those in the world around you. Your life is no longer your own. You belong to someone else. You belong to God. Wouldn't you agree? Unfortunately, that wasn't the case with the guys in our text this morning. They were claiming to be servants of God. In fact, they were checking all the boxes on the list of things that you would expect a religious person to do. But when it was all said and done, their lives did not reflect that of someone who is a believer. And Paul, and Paul's calling them out on it. They've put all their faith and hope into doing all the right things. God said you need to be circumcised. So they got circumcised. Now, ironically, they were more focused on knowing the law than they were on following the law. You might have picked up on that from our text this morning. These guys were more concerned about doing all the right things than they were about doing things right. Now, before you judge them, take a moment and ask yourself, am I that way too? Ask yourself that. Have have you ever put your faith and trust in the signs of salvation rather than the one who saves. Maybe you've told yourself something like this. Maybe you said, you know, I got baptized. I'm good. Or how about, you know, I, I said a special prayer in Sunday school, so I'm golden. Or maybe you said, you know, I, I follow the Ten Commandments. What else does God want? The Jews were obeying God's commandments too. So then what's the problem? They've done what he asked them to do. Where did they go wrong? If you look back at our text, you'll find the answer. In verses 25 through 27, Paul is explaining to them that it's pointless to go through the motions of being a religious person if you aren't going to live the life of a believer. It's pointless to wear a cross on your neck to work on Monday morning if your actions on Friday night were less than kosher. You know what I mean? We shouldn't tell others that we're a follower of Christ unless we're going to live our life like a follower of Christ. The Jews, like us, many times thought, if we just do all the right stuff, we'll be okay. What they failed to understand is that God doesn't want a bunch of followers who acknowledge him with their lips and then ignore him with their lifestyle. God is more concerned about the condition of your heart than he is the completion of your checklist. That is exactly what Paul is making in verses 28 and 29. Let's look at those two verses again. 
For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but it is from God. Paul is pointing out that a Jew, I mean a true Jew, isn't someone who is circumcised in the flesh, but someone who's circumcised in the heart. A true follower of Christ is someone who loves him with all of their heart, not someone who's just going through the motions. Paul is using a pretty graphic example here in our text this morning in order to make a vital point to his readers. I have to believe it is because circumcision was important. He could have used any example to show these guys that they had missed the mark, but he chose circumcision. Why is that? I would contend that it's because it was a big deal. It was a big deal to the Romans. Circumcision was an important act to a lot of people back then. We know this not only because Paul talked to the Romans about it, but he also had a similar conversation with the Galatians as well. Turn with me to the book of Galatians. It's just going to be a little bit past Romans. We're going to go from Romans right past 1 and 2 Corinthians and then to the book of Galatians. I'd like us to look at Galatians chapter 5, those first six verses. If you're using a pew Bible, we're going to be on page 1034. Throughout the book of Galatians, Paul is having a similar conversation about the law and about the freedom that we have in Christ. Let's look at that. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It says, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law, you are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Verse 5, for we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. We can't cherry pick in laws that we want to follow and the laws we don't want to follow. I know that because I have some speeding tickets from my younger days that I don't necessarily agree with. But that's exactly what the Jews in both Galatia and in Rome are trying to do. They want to abide by certain laws. They want to conform to the law of circumcision, but then disregard other ones. Paul is telling them, you can't do that. We see here in Galatians 5 verse 3, where Paul says that if you choose to get circumcised, then you're obligated to obey the entire law. Then if we look back in our text in Romans from this morning, we see Paul instructing the Romans in verse 25 that circumcision only benefits you if you observe the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision is basically null and void. We can't pick and choose the rules we want to follow. So, once again, Paul is telling the people of Galatia the same thing that he's communicating to those living in Rome and the same thing he's communicating to us this morning. The law will not save you. 
The law cannot save you. It's not about doing all the right things. It's about doing things right. Paul is saying circumcised, uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. It doesn't accomplish anything. Not spiritually. What does it matter then? What matters is your faith working through love. That's what Paul said in Galatians 5. I'll read it again. Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. So then what matters? Well, what matters is faith working through love. Faith working through love. I know I keep going back and forth between these two books, but I want you to see the common thread of Paul's message. The act of being circumcised or following the law isn't what saves us. It's God who saves us. Circumcision, or excuse me. Yeah. The act of being circumcised or following the law isn't what saves us. It's God who saves us. Circumcision doesn't accomplish anything. Now that being said, I know what some of you guys are thinking. I know that some of you in here really love your Bibles. I know that. I know that you read your Bibles and you've read the book of Acts, and I know what you're going to say, so you don't even have to say it. Let's just address the elephant in the room right here, right now. For those of you who don't know what I'm referring to, I'll just bring you up to speed real quick. In the book of Acts, in chapter 16, at about the third verse, Paul may or may not, but most definitely does, take Timothy out and circumcise him. Now listen to me. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, ouch. <laughs> At least that was my first thought. <laughs> Timothy was a lot older than eight days. Maybe that's not your first thought. Maybe your second thought or your first thought is, I thought you said circumcision wasn't important. I, I thought you said it didn't matter. I know that's what you're thinking because I have to imagine that's what Timothy was thinking too. <laughs> I'd be pretty frustrated if I found myself in a similar situation, I did what? For what? And now you're saying it doesn't matter? But the question you have to ask yourself is why? The question that we have to ask of the text is why? Why did Timothy get circumcised? Why did the Jews in Rome get circumcised? What were the motives behind their actions? From what we've been reading these past few weeks in Romans, I don't believe that the Jews' motives were right for their circumcision. In fact, I would argue that for them, it was about checking off items on their checklist. They were checking off boxes on their get into heaven holiness scorecard. Be circumcised, check. Get baptized, check. Memorize scripture, check. Look holier than everyone else all the time, check, check. I think that's what they were doing. I mean, I get it, and I don't blame them. Those things look great on paper, but those aren't the things that save you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe just like the people living in Rome, you're trying to do your hardest to do all the right things so that you can have eternal life. Now, you can check off all the boxes on your religious checklist that you want, but if your plan is to get into heaven based on empty motions and misunderstood motives, you're in trouble. If your plan for salvation is based on your works and only on following God's law, then I have some terrible news. You're not going to make it. You can't do enough. None of us can. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
The only way to gain eternal life and experience true freedom is through Jesus Christ. Unless you surrender your life over to him, you'll never be at peace. Nothing in this world can truly satisfy you. Nothing we do apart from God will ever save us. The Romans were more focused on doing all the right things than they were on doing things right. They got circumcised for the wrong reasons. Their motives weren't in the right place. What about you? What is motivating your actions today? While you reflect on that, let's check back on our brother Timothy. What about Timothy? What were his motives? If the act of circumcision isn't what saves us, then why did he bother? Were his motives in the wrong place too? As I've studied Timothy's life and as I've read Paul's letters to him, I don't think that was the case. I believe that his intentions were different than that of the Jews. Rather than being consumed with doing all the right stuff, with with checking off all the boxes, Timothy was more focused on doing everything right. He understood that God was more concerned with the condition of his heart than with his outward actions. Timothy loved God, and he wanted to serve God out of the love that he had for God, out of the abundance of the love that was in his heart for God. He was willing to do whatever it took to serve him and to faithfully tell others about Christ. So he got circumcised, not because he was required to, but because he wanted to. He didn't want that to be a stumbling block for the Jews. If we're going to be followers of Christ, then we too need to be willing to circumcise ourselves this morning. Just as Timothy was willing to circumcise his flesh, we need to be willing to circumcise our hearts for Christ. Now, what does it mean to circumcise our hearts? What does it mean to circumcise our hearts? It means to rid your life of sin. That's what Paul is encouraging the Romans to do, and that's my encouragement to you this morning. In the same way that Jews were willing to rid themselves of their flesh, we need to rid ourselves of our sinful desires. That's what it means to have a new life in Christ. If Christ Jesus lives inside us, if his Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, then we should look different. Paul tells us in Romans 6 what a new life in Christ should look like. Romans 6 says, what should we say then? This is Paul talking. Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? If you're married, how can you continue to live as if you're a single person? You can't. You shouldn't. You've made a covenant before God, and as a result, you should honor that. The same is true for the Christian. Paul goes on to say in chapter 6, verse 12, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourself to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. The law doesn't save us. God saves us. It's his grace that redeems us, and it's his blood that was shed on the cross that saved us. As a result, God is calling us to surrender our lives over to him and serve him faithfully. After all, God is more concerned about the condition of your heart than your adherence to the law. That's it. 
that's all I've got. I mean, that's really it. As I mentioned this morning, today's message is really a continuation of Pastor Brian's message from last week. The main point of Pastor Brian's message last week is that the law doesn't save us. I hope that you see that. I hope that you saw that last week, and I hope you're able to see that from our text here this morning. My main point today, and and I believe that Paul's main point was that in light of the fact that the law doesn't save us, we need to remember and understand the condition of our heart matters. If the condition of your heart is what truly matters to God, it's not our works. The law doesn't save you. God's word cannot save you. This book cannot save you. I have atheist friends who know parts of the Bible better than I do. They're not saved. They're not following God. It's God who saves us. It's him revealing himself to us through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our next-gen students understand this. For the past few weeks on Monday nights, we've been going through the book of John. Our next-gen students know John 1.1, which says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. It's the Holy Spirit revealing himself and speaking to us through God's word that opens our minds and our hearts and our heads to the redeeming love of God and to accept the eternal life that is only found in him. The law doesn't save us. God saves us. There's no amount of works that you can do to earn your salvation and gain eternal life. I mean, there just isn't. The law doesn't save us. God saves us. And because of that, I can promise you that God is more concerned about the condition of your heart than he is the amount of works that you accomplish. And we aren't in a much different place than the Jews. This message was originally for them. Paul wrote this letter to them. But the same truths can be applied to our lives today. We can benefit from Paul's teaching this morning. Based on our text this morning, we each need to do one of two things. Either we need to stop doing something, or we need to start doing something. Or maybe both. If you're sitting here today, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, you know what? I'm just like the Jews. I'm no different than they were. If you've been doing all the right things, but you've been doing them for the wrong reasons, then simply stop. Stop whatever it is you're doing. Stop serving in the kids' area. Stop playing on the worship team. Stop leading a fellowship group. Stop. You fill in the blank. Just stop it. Stop faking it. Then, when you're ready, when your heart is in the right place, when you're ready to serve God for the right reasons, then start. Start serving Him. Start serving Him, whatever that looks like. Get baptized or get baptized again. Maybe the first time was for your parents, it wasn't for God. Whatever it takes. Lead a Bible study. Share the gospel. Disciple your kids. Invite your neighbors to church. Whatever you do, stop serving out of your own selfish ambitions. And start serving God out of the abundance of your heart and your genuine love for him. You know, Martin Luther once said, God doesn't need your good works. But your neighbor does. The law doesn't save us. Our works cannot save us, but our works should be a direct reflection of the heart change that has taken place inside of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For you are saved by grace, through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, 
so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared ahead of time for us to do. Does God have work for you to do? Of course he does. I just read that he does. But make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Are you working for God because you love him? Or because you're trying to earn something that you don't deserve? At the end of the day, God is more concerned with the condition of your heart than he is the completion of your checklist. That's everything. That's all I've got. If you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian, get saved. What are you waiting for? Surrender your life over to Christ and allow him to call all the shots in your life. There's absolutely no way for you to make it without him. If that's you today, come talk to me. Let's have a conversation. I'm serious. If you're sitting here today and you are a Christian, or maybe you're watching online and you're a Christian, forget about the checklist, man. Focus on your heart. Focus on the motives that are driving you. Are you serving God out of a sense of obligation? Or are you serving him out of the abundance of love that you have for Christ and his bride, the church? At the end of the day, just as you would want your spouse to be faithful and true to you, regardless of the ring that's on her finger. The Lord is seeking a bride who will love him and will serve him with all their heart and serve him joyfully. Is that you today? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you that there is no way that we could possibly earn our salvation because at the end of the day, Lord, I would just come up short. I thank you that it is your grace that saves us. That just like we sung this morning, that your love, we just drown in your grace and your love, Lord Jesus, because it covers us completely. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with that love. That you'd fill us with a desire to serve you, not because we're trying to be holy, but because you are holy. I pray that not one of us would serve out of a sense of obligation, but that we would serve because we love you with all of our heart. We owe you everything, Lord. I thank you for this faith family. Lord, I, I thank you for the works that you've called us to do. Lord, I pray that we'd remember this, not just today, but every day. Lord, that our kids would know that there's nothing that they can do to earn your love, but that you love them with all that you have. Because you sent your son to die for them so that they could have eternal life and not have to perish. I thank you, Lord, for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.